So the scripture this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 5 and starting at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, we have been uh, digging through the concept of uh, Sabbathing, of, of this concept in the Old Testament, particularly at the beginning of Scripture. And we started our series in Genesis chapter 1, uh, where the big picture gives us this question of how do I thin out the to-do list in my life? Like if there's all these things and, and this weight of burden that most of us carry where there's these things we should do and we never feel like we have time to get them all done, right? Like there's always seems to be a huge list of things that we think we should do. And even worse, if we listen to outside voices, there's all kinds of other people that want to add things to our list and tell us what they think we should do. And the list just gets longer and longer. And we kind of need to thin it out to know what we should do to have content, productive, happy lives. <coughs> So the th big question's been, how do we thin out? And, and Genesis, opening chapter, it talks to us about the balance of productivity and rest. And so God creates in six days, but it says, then he rested, and that whole thing is the account of creation. So creation is not just the six days where he was making stuff, but the one day when he was resting after. And he doesn't do it because he's tired, but he sets up this rhythm for us, and we 
some of us really need to hear that. We're good at the productivity, not so good at the rest. But one in seven ratio is a healthy balance to have where we work, but we also rest. Now, some people, maybe it's the other way around, and we're, we're, we're really good at resting. But, uh, but either way, there is this balance in Scripture, productivity and rest. And then uh, the, the next Sunday, we talked about Jesus' example of getting away from the crowd. And so he gets away to a place on his own. And then when they come looking for him and the disciples say, look, everybody's looking for you. People, you know, there's some you healed and you did some good, but there's other people looking for you. You got to go back. You got to finish the job. There's still people with making, making demands on you. And, and Jesus Uh, His example is to say no to people's expectations so that he's only saying yes to God's mission. He says, no, I have to go to other towns. Like, I've I've got a mission. I know where I'm supposed to be, and it's not back there. I did my thing there. Now I'm moving on to the next one. And he seems to do it, like, guilt-free. Wouldn't it be good if we could do that? If we could find a healthy balance, if we knew where we were supposed to be and we didn't ever feel torn in two different directions. Like, I, I, I need to do that, but I need to do this. I should do that, but I should do this. And how do I get them both done? And, and Jesus goes, no, they're asking me for good things, but I'm not going back there. I'm going here. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is why I came, is what he says. So there's this balance of, of no and yes, saying no to good things so that you can do what you are called to do. And then uh, in Mark's gospel, Jesus also strikes another balance when he talks to a religious leader on the one hand and Mary and Martha on the other hand. And to the religious leader, he says, look, he's a a studied guy. He studied scripture and he goes, what does the scripture say? And he asks him and the guy's got all the right answers. And he says, well, don't just talk about it and know the right answer. Now what you got to do is go do it. So stop, you know, just filling your head with right answers and go live out those right answers and do it. But Martha, he says the opposite to. Martha is running around getting things ready and doing good things, doing things to serve Jesus. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha says, make my sister help me. And Jesus says, she picked the right thing. Martha, you got a million things on your, on your mind. Mary's picked the one thing. Mary picked better than you. Stop doing and sit and learn from Jesus. So in both, he seems to have an opposite answer for individuals. Maybe some of us, we love to learn about scripture. Maybe there's some things we know the right answer we should do and we aren't doing them. Other people, it might be we're running around doing stuff, but we need to pay attention to scripture and scripture will form what we should be doing. And we spend, we're so busy but we don't spend the balanced time of learning and doing. And so Jesus really sets us up there. And so Mark puts these two stories back to back so we can go, you know, it's not just about one or the other. It's not that one is more important than the other. It's both. And, uh, and so that's the, the balance that we've been learning so far. And now we come to this passage and uh, it makes me think of when I, I pastored years ago in Stratford, Ontario and and if you've ever been to Stratford, there's the Stratford Festival, the Shakespeare Festival. And on the other hand, it's known for the auto industry. And, and there's a place called Cooper Standard there, and they build cars. And uh, I had a guy in my church, we'll call him Dirk. And so Dirk, 
he came in one Sunday and he started talking to me and he was kind of down in the mouth and he says, man, I, I went to work yesterday or, or, or Friday and, and I, I did my shift and by lunchtime, I was like way ahead of the game. I'm, he machined parts on a, on a, on a, machi- a lathe and he's, he's like, I, I was cranking them out. I was like 300 parts past where I should be for that time of day. And I just kept cranking them out and I kept doing them and doing them. He got to mid-afternoon and he was like almost double his quote. And he's like, I'm the hero of the world. I'm the greatest machinist that ever lived. And then the quality control guy came by. And he's pushing a cart full of Derek's, Dirk's parts. And Dirk is looking at him, and he's got this cart full of parts. And the guy goes, listen, uh, I don't know what went wrong, but they're all like millimeters out. And Dirk looked at his machine and realized he didn't zero out his machine. Now, what that means is you, you, they kind of calibrate the machines, and you've got to make sure you're starting at zero to the part and then you know it's add on however big the part's supposed to be you you tune it and go back and forth so he didn't make sure it was calibrated to zero so he was starting at like minus two millimeters or something and so every part was two millimeters too short so every one of those parts was thrown into the recycle bin garbage wasted so suddenly this, I'm on top of the world, I'm so far ahead, I'm getting so much done, I'm so productive, was I didn't actually make one usable part this morning and early this afternoon. And my whole day has been a complete waste of time. I thought I was being productive. I thought I was spending my time. I was wasting my time because I didn't do that one little thing. What's it, the... Uh, All the carpenters say, measure twice, cut once, right? Didn't work for Dirk. And it can seem like that sometimes. We spend our time, we make choices about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And maybe we say no to some things, although some of us find it really hard to pronounce that word. But sometimes we can get going and we're trying our best And then some things work out and some things don't. Sometimes you go, I don't know what I was doing there. I don't know what went wrong, but I felt like I was doing the right thing. And then I, you have this aha moment where you go, that was a complete waste of time. That whole period of my life was shot. I made a bad decision and now my time isn't spent. It's wasted. You might've noticed when I was reading the scripture passage I don't know if these words jumped out at you, but in verse 11, Paul says in our passage, take no part in worthless deeds. And then in verse 15, he says, so be careful how you live. Or in verse 15, make the most of every opportunity. Or verse 16, don't act thoughtlessly. You kind of see a running theme here, right? He says, don't take part in worthless deeds. Don't waste your time on things that are worthless Spend your time on things that are worthwhile. Don't take no part in worthless deeds. Be careful how you live. Like it matters what you do. You need to spend time well. And so be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. Like when you get presented with an opportunity, like, like use it 
in the right way. So make the most of every opportunity and don't act thoughtlessly. Like think about the decisions you're making. Think about the choices you make every moment. Think about the direction you're moving and doing and think about the way you think and about the way you act and the decisions you make and the way you walk it out. He says, don't just like walk through life kind of following what everybody around you is doing. Don't act thoughtlessly, but be careful about it. So there are deeds that are worthless. They are pointless. They're a waste of time and they shouldn't make our to-do list. They should be things we just X out instead of checking them off as done. And so we thin out the list by deciding some things are worth our time and some things aren't. Some things should be a no right up front. And so we have to make those choices. And uh, we have to be thoughtful about what does and doesn't make the list if we're going to be content, if we're going to have the life that God has planned for us. So with that in mind... Let's start at the beginning of our passage and work our way through. So, so Paul starts off, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Imitate God because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Remember this whole series we just did on Peter? Remember how Peter kept going back to the cross, to Jesus' death and his resurrection, and everything seemed rooted in that. Paul's the same, right? Paul keeps referring back, and so he begins, he says, you gotta, here's how you know what makes your list and what doesn't make your list. Here's how you know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't waste your time on. If you wanna know what's a waste of time, anything that doesn't follow the pattern of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus is what should define your life. And it's the pattern of his sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think that the four gospel stories at the beginning of the New Testament tell us the stories of Jesus on earth. And they all tell the story of Jesus' death and they all tell the story of Jesus' resurrection. They make choices about other stories, whether they're gonna cover that story or not. But that's the story that everybody covers. All four guys are like, that's crucial, that's important. But in the Gospels, we learn that it happened. We learn that Jesus came back. We know that he is truly God incarnate, God in human flesh, and that he came and he died for our sins. But it's the rest of the New Testament's job to then unpack that. And so all the letters that we have from Peter, all the letters that we have from Paul, all the other epistles, uh, all the other things written in the New Testament, it's like we learned about the fact of the, uh, uh, and the centrality of Jesus' death and resurrection in the Gospels, but the rest of the New Testament is walking that out and trying to unpack that. And there's so much that we learn from these letters. And so Paul, he starts to instruct us on one thing, but he's always got to come back to Jesus' death and resurrection. And so he says, look, if you look at Jesus' sacrificial love, you will know what you should be doing. If you look at his death, the way he loved us so much that he sacrificed for us, then that's the example you should take. So he says, imitate God, everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love and follow Jesus' example, because that's what love looks like. When you give and give and give and sacrifice yourself for others. And then he continues let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. 
such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, they are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. How many people remember uh, Sesame Street? Show of hands, yeah? Okay. Remember that little song, One of These Things is Not Like the Other? Did you notice one that jumps out at you as different? He's listing things. He says sexual immorality, impurity, or greed, uh, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. That list of sins. Which one stands out as sounding like, does this belong on this list? Right? So he's talking about all these things, but it's sexual immorality, impurity, uh, greed, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Greed kind of sounds a little different, doesn't it? Like he's talking about, about people's sexual purity and, in their lives and not talking about, you know, not telling coarse jokes or obscene stories and, and uh, how they should be pure and, and not be sexually immoral. And, and then he throws greed into the mix. And you go, well, well, like I know it's bad too, but it sounds different than the others, doesn't it? But he says about all of them, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And so Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and he's writing to particular people that he knows that, that he's met, and he, he knows who they are, and he's heard some things, and he's writing this letter to instruct them. So he's not giving a full list of all the sins that exist in the world. He's talking to them about some things that might be struggled with in their context. And so he's talking about these things about purity that they need to be concerned with because of where they are and the culture around them and the things that other people around them find is important and and that maybe they're getting lured into. But when he's talking about all these other things of impurity, he throws greed into the mix. And it, it might at first sound like it stands out. Like why is he lumping this in with those kind of sins? And then... He contrasts them and he said, instead of that, let you be filled with thankfulness to God. And you go, okay, well, even thankfulness, sexual immorality versus thankfulness or greed versus thankfulness. Greed and thankfulness, they belong together, right? It's almost like, why is he throwing in that other stuff? It sounds like he's talking about this balance of we should not be greedy, but we should be thankful. But see, the thing is that he's not specifying any particular sexual immorality, any kind of particular stripe of that. He's saying all of that lumped together, you need to understand that it belongs in the list with greed because they are greed. And then he explains greed is a real problem and nobody is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven if they're greedy because greed is idolatry. And so he plays it out, and if you understand it correctly, then you know that all of these sexual sins that he's mentioning, all of this telling coarse jokes and all that, all of that, he says, kind of lumps together with greed because all of those things are based on self-gratification, about making that individual happy and, and meeting their needs and not really caring about other people. And so you can see in context when he starts to talk about Jesus and his sacrificial love, and then he says, look, there's a problem with all these things, including greed. These are the kinds of greed 
that these people are struggling with. It's not the only kind of greed that's wrong, but this sexual selfishness, the sexual greed that you want what you want. And it's all about how you feel and what you get. He says that all is a problem because you're focusing always on yourself. And Jesus is about sacrifice. And if we're following him, we're going to do things differently. And so he says, all of that is contrasted with thankfulness. Because when you're thankful for what you have, you're not looking to just feed you. But your gratefulness makes you the kind of person that can go and serve others and sacrifice without resenting that you're doing anything for anybody else because you come from this place of being grateful for what you have rather than being greedy for what you don't have. And he says that greed can take all kinds of different shapes. And in this case, one of the ways that it can, forms that it can take is this sexual greediness that he mentions. But he says, look, we shouldn't be greedy. We should be thankful. We shouldn't be self-serving. We should be serving others. We should be living with this sense of thankfulness. And that's the antidote to this selfishness that we're walking around with in our world. And he says, incidentally, all kinds of greed, including you know, sexual selfishness, it's idolatry. It's putting something else as the most important thing that you're seeking over God. And that's a problem. He says, don't mistake it for something it isn't. And, and then he goes on to say, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. He says, see it as the worship it is. If you're, if you're greedy, then whether it's shopping and you're about stuff, physical stuff or whether it's self-gratification in some other way, including sexually, if that's your goal, if that's all that you're about, if that's what you're trying to do for you, understand that that's a problem because it, it takes priority and precedence in your life. And you're looking for what you don't have rather than being grateful to God for what he's done for you and who he's made you to be. And he says that you can't inherit the kingdom of God that way. You just don't get it. And so we shouldn't waste our time on a sexual immorality, impurity, obscene jokes, foolish talk, coarse jokes, which are all greed. And, and greed includes more than that, but includes that too. And then he says greed's idolatry. And so he says it's evil. It's a waste of your time and energy. Shouldn't make the list. Rule it out now so that you can focus on what's important. Serving lovingly like Jesus did. And so Paul says we should give up those things and instead we should be grateful to God and live a life filled with love for others. And then he, he, he understands the world we live in because he goes on to say, but people find excuses for their actions. And so Paul warns us, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. He says, don't even get close to that. Like walk away from it. Don't make an excuse for your selfishness. Stop it. Focus on what Jesus has called you to do and how he's called you to serve. And then 
he says there's a reason that we don't do those things, and it's a reason that we don't do them and just excuse them. He says, because once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And he says, if you're a person of the light, you got nothing to do with the darkness. If you have become this person in Jesus, if you know the light of his kingdom in you, it's going to draw you away from that other stuff and towards Jesus. It's going to take you away from yourself and into this self-giving love for the whole world that Jesus shows. And so he says, that's how you decide what makes your list. Once you're full of darkness, now you have the light of the Lord. And so live as people of light. Like it doesn't even belong in your life. And so then Paul says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and of darkness, instead expose them. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Be careful that your list matches his list rather than assume that your list is his list and that you want the same things. Go, God, what what do you want for me? What should make my list? Determine what pleases the Lord and take no part in worthless deeds. Everything else that isn't part of God's plan for you is worthless and a waste of your time. It's like doing volunteer work, but not making any positive difference whatsoever. It doesn't pay you the dividends you're looking for. And so he says, don't waste your time on what's worthless. Spend your time on what's worthwhile, which is the kingdom of God. He says it matters how we live. So he goes on with the things we noticed earlier. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Spend some time and energy seeking God and knowing what he wants for you. And finally, he says, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read that picture, if you picture yourself doing that, are you doing it with a smile on your face or a frown? Don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself, singing, making music to the Lord in your hearts. How's that sound? And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing out to us that happiness doesn't come from being selfish and getting what you want all the time and getting your way. He says, it seems like it will. And it's the reason people follow that. It's the reason people seek after that. That's the reason people act selfish is because they think if I'm selfish and I go after all the things I want and I get them, I'll be happy. Think of some of the richest people in the world. Do you think they're happy? I won't get all political, but do you think Donald Trump is happy? He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of stuff. He seems to think he can do whatever he wants. Does it make him happy? He doesn't seem happy to me. But Paul says, if you do these things, 
your heart's going to be singing. And you're going to walk around singing hymns and spiritual songs and making music to the Lord in your hearts. I won't embarrass anyone, but there is an unnamed staff member in our church that cleans our toilets. And if you walk down the hall or you're in the other washroom, you can hear her singing while she scrubs our toilets. She got a hymn and a spiritual song and all those things in her heart while she's serving the body of Christ in the most disgusting way. And there are others in this church. There are a whole bunch of people in this church that I see them serving other people and the biggest smile they ever get on their face is when they're doing something for somebody else. Is there any amens out there for that? Instead of being selfish, instead of getting what they want, if they're serving other people, if they're living for Jesus, they gain great satisfaction. And even if they're not very musical, they get a song in their heart. Like they're lifted, they're buoyant. They walk two inches off the ground when you, when you run into them, right? There's a happiness and a contentment to serving Jesus. The forefather of the Wesleyan church, John Wesley, he said, none but the righteous are finally happy. I love that. The thing that we're after when we're acting selfish is happiness and we never get it by being selfish. But if we give up our selfishness, if we give up our greed and we follow God thankfully and sacrificially serve others, we get this happiness and contentment that comes from Jesus. And when we are living righteously in that way, John Wesley's right, we are happy. Not bubbly, frothy, nothing ever goes wrong, but we are content and there is the joy of the Lord. Jesus described it as abundant life. The scriptures also call it holy life. That life is more content and more happy and more fulfilled than any other way to live. And Paul says, if you want a song in your heart, don't go around being selfish in every area of your life. Do this instead. And I believe me, it'll work. And all the things that you think you need to add more and more and more of, money, experiences, life, things, relationships, all those things that you're searching for your satisfaction in that are not filling the hole inside you. Understand that hole is God-shaped. And when your life starts to follow and track after Jesus, you will find this contentment rising up and this joy filling your soul. And Paul says, I want that for you. He wanted it for the Ephesians, but it, he, God made sure that these words were preserved through time so that we could have this letter because it's God's word. And God is trying to say to you, if you want to be satisfied, and I want you to be satisfied, if you want to be content, and I want you to be content, if you are going to be happy, and my goal is your happiness, it will not come from getting what you want and erasing problems and filling your life with stuff or experiences or accomplishments. It will come from serving others and living like Jesus because you have the light and the light shines in you and the light shines through you. And he goes, you want a song? 
that's a song. Your whole life will be filled with beautiful music that comes from the inside out. And Paul says, look, there's no other way to get that. So let me tell you, point it in that direction. 